All right, we're going to be uh, reading a passage in Ephesians 6. I'm going to read verses 10 through 18. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. You can uh, read in your own version or follow along on the screen behind me. But this is going to be the foundation for the, the whole message tonight. So if you hear nothing else this evening, please direct your attention towards the Word of God. Uh, because the word is powerful and life-changing, and uh, it's my prayer that God will speak to you through his word tonight. This is what Paul says here in the last chapter of this letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put the breastplate of righteousness on and having, the shoe, uh, having as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given from the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying in all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Everybody say, stand. Stand. Do you hear that word in there? I think it said it three times and then withstand. So um, why don't you join me in prayer and then we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you again just for your presence here in this place, for every person and family that came here tonight, everybody that's watching and listening online and on the radio. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in us, that you would transform our mind, that you would transform our hearts, that you would fill our emotions and our psyche, every part of us, that you would fill us, Lord, with your power, with your spirit, with your glory, that we would be changed in this place as we leave that we would live it out, that we would walk it out who you've created us to be. And right now, with this message, Lord, I pray that you would fill your people with strength to stand in the midst of the battle. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let me just see by a show of hands. Anybody, is there, who, who's competitive in the church? My hand's higher than yours, I'm just saying. I'm competitive. My football team won the turkey bowl, I'm just saying. It's because Tyler was on my team. Look, I am so competitive. When people say to me, hey, we're just out here to have fun, I say, yeah, I have fun when I win. Amen. Right? I mean, like, why are, we giving, why are we giving ribbons to everybody? Like, I just want, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's cool. It's cool. Everybody's a winner. No. I know it's a sin. I'm working on it in my life. I'm, I'm too competitive, but hey. This is who I am. I, I want to win at things, right? So when I play a game, I'm trying to win. I don't care what it is. If I'm playing uh, Connect Four with some elementary school kids, I'm trying to win that game. I'm trying to win. I kid you not. I'll play, I'll play memory game with my, with my seven-year-old, and she beats me, and I get frustrated. And she really beats me. I'm not going to let her win. Like, I go for it. Uh, when, when I was growing up, 
We would play all kinds of games and, you know, sports, of course, any sport we would play, basketball, football, whatever. But if we didn't have a sport to play, maybe we were doing something, maybe mom said, you know, you know, pick up the backyard, all your toys are everywhere. Then, you know, I mean, it's going to be a competition. You pick up the toys, maybe you shoot them in the toy bin and see who can, you know, make the most buckets with the toys. Maybe if it's, hey, clean up, clean up both your rooms, then it's a race to see who can clean up the room first. And we even have competitions for who could be silent the longest in the car. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm getting that dime from my dad for winning the silent competition like I'm just that's just who I am I want to win in fact Jess and I were we were just watching this uh television documentary and they did this study on on athletes of course but they studied these guys that work in Wall Street and they found this really peculiar thing about the people that made the most money in Wall Street they figured out that their ring finger was longer than their pointer finger and that if your ring finger is longer than your index finger it's an indication of how competitive you are I was like, oh, they got that down. And so they said, they said the people whose fing- ring fingers were longer than the pointer fingers would make more money in the stock market than those that had shorter. It's crazy. I don't know if it's true for you or not. Look, I, I know that not all of you are competitive. I can see the length of your fingers. But, but I'm competitive. And whether you're competitive or not in sports or all the irrelevant things that don't really matter like I am, I think that there's something inside the heart of a human being, especially when it comes to the things that really matter. I think that we should all agree at some point we want to be victorious, don't we? I mean, there's something in us that wants to, if you don't like the word win, maybe be victorious at the end of your life. Maybe to stand in that. If I could just boil it all down, talk about winning and losing and all that. When it comes to the things of the faith, when it comes to the things that God has called you to, when it comes to walking out this glorious adventure called life that God has created you to walk out, if, if we could agree on this, this, just this one thing, wouldn't it be nice to get to the end and be standing before the king in heaven and have him say this, well done, good and faithful servant. That's victory. So whatever you want to call it, I think that we could all agree that, that there's something in us that's driving us to want to stand in that place of victory. And I'll just say this too. This is, like Jay would say, this is, this is for free. This is really not to do with the message. But that verse, by the way, I think it's beautiful that, it's, that Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because what he doesn't say is, well done, good and faithful preacher. Well done, good and faithful bishop. Well done, good and faithful pastor. Well done, good and faithful. No, no, no. None of the titles that the, we try and strive for. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we need to be as servants. But let's, let's just, if we can agree tonight moving forward that what we would like to do all of us is hear our heavenly father say well done good and faithful servant you have been with me you have walked it out and you have stood the test of time just to recap the past a few weeks, in case you weren't here, if you would boil the whole book of Ephesians down to three words, uh, it would be sit, walk, stand. 
It's these, it's these beautiful concepts that, that God has done all of these things for us already. The first chapter in Ephesians says that God has blessed us and he's lavished us and he's poured his love upon us and he's even raised us from the dead and he's seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. That's another theme that you'd see all throughout the book, the heavenly places. It's this message that Paul is speaking to us that what's happening in the spiritual realm is just as important as what's happening in the physical realm. And what's happening in the spiritual realm has to affect what you're walking through in the physical realm. And so he goes on to say, as you found your place yourself seated with Christ, the reasonable response to that is to walk it out. That you would, you would find yourself in a place of, of relationship and identity and uh, just the presence of God and as you have that relationship, it is not to, you don't, you don't do works to get to that place, but after God has given you that place by grace and his love, the works are the natural response to the position that you're in. This is very important that we build this foundation before I jump in. So I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. First, your position is in Christ is given to you by grace and grace alone. You have a position and a place and an identity and an inheritance with Christ, both in the heavenly places and in your earthly reality right now. And the analogy for that is to sit, to sit with God. You sit with God first, and then you walk it out. And there's all these things that Paul says that you should do and not do, and it's not about being legalistic and self-righteous and all that. It's about honoring God based on what he's already done for you, that there's a response to that, to walk out the life that he's called you to. So then Paul, after five chapters of describing both our spiritual heavenly reality and our earthly reality, he, he, he gets here to this place in Ephesians chapter 6 where he starts to describe something that some of us, maybe many of us, are a little uncomfortable with. And that's this spiritual battle that's taking place. And he gives this sort of final charge, this final commandment to stand to stand firm. You know, when, when I was growing up, like I said, playing sports, there was many games that we would play that you're trying to get to a destination. You know, football, you're trying to get across the end zone. In baseball, you're trying to get around the bases. In basketball, you're trying to get up and down the court. And there was this one game that we would play. You might know this game. If you see a dock floating out in the middle of the lake all by itself and you and your buddies are going to swim out to the dock, you're only going to play one game. It's called King of the Hill. Now, the point of King of the Hill is not to swim to another dock or get somewhere else. The point of King of the Hill is not to get anywhere else. It's to stand firm right where you're at. It's to stand firm on that dock while the people are trying to push you off and shove you off. Your goal in King of the Hill is to be the last person standing. So you get down in this stance and you got all these guys coming at you and, and you're, you're getting them off of you and, and the, the goal is to stand firm. And this is exactly what he's challenging, commanding us to do in this final stretch of this book. He's saying, as you found yourself in a place of sitting, of, of identity, of relationship with God, and as you then walked it out in all of that, and at the end of the day, what you need to do is stand firm because you need to know, friend, that there is a battle that is going on and it is coming for you. You see, the deception that some of us walk in is this idea that as we step into relationship with Christ, that everything is going to be butterflies and lollipops. You know, that like God's desire is just to make us fat, dumb, and happy. And it's just not true. 
Jesus said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. He said, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. And we face battles all the time. You know it just as well as I. We face tribulation and trial, and we face relational struggle, and we face all kinds of things. We face financial pressure and torment even. We face the losing of life and death and questions. The questions sometimes are the hardest battles that we face because there's nobody to swing against. It's like it's, it's swinging against the air, and we struggle. There's all kinds of things that we face and we battle against in this life. And if you could believe it, what the Scripture is saying is that this battle is not against flesh and blood. He says the battle is not against the person that's sitting next to you. It's not against your ex-husband or wife. The battle is not against those Muslims living overseas that call themselves ISIS. The battle is not against humanity. The battle is a heavenly battle that's going on. Look, there is a spiritual warfare that's going on. That's what the Bible says. And so his commandment to us is that we would be strong in his might that we would stand firm in his strength, that first we would recognize who the battle is against, where it's going on, and how we're gonna fight this battle. So, first of all, the battle is against not flesh and blood, but the evil one. Now, I just wanna talk about the evil one real quick, because I feel like we live in this, this dichotomy where there's almost some of us that give the devil way too much credit. You know what I'm saying? And then there's some of us that don't give him any credit at all, don't even acknowledge his existence. And I'll tell you, both places are very dangerous places to be. So there's some of us that are just like, oh, the devil made me do it. And it's like, no, there's something else made you do that. And I'm not even gonna mention it. But hey, you know, we blame the devil for every, oh, that person stole my parking spot at the grocery store. No, the devil is not doing every single thing in your life, okay? The devil, we give him a whole lot of credit sometimes and blame him for a whole lot of things. And just to be honest, a lot of times the, the issues in my life are due to my own desires and my own choosing. And you know what? It, we just, let's just put it like this. If we would just really uh, soberly look at our own life, sometimes we blame the devil for something that we do. And, and we, we pass it off on him. It's, it's called, a, we scapegoat him. And so we don't ever have to change. Because, well, it's the devil. Well, I'm just being attacked. And then on the other side, as somebody once said, the best trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Uh, I, I'm convinced that art in our society has, has truly hurt us. Because think about it. We have little kids on Halloween day that run around like a little red guy with a tail and horns and a pitchfork. And all of our art depicts the devil that way, cartoons and so on and so forth. And we think about the devil as a little guy on our shoulder. And, and this is what it's done just collectively in our minds is convinced us that the devil is just this little cartoon guy that's trying to get you to, you know, be, be bad or anything like that. And that's not who the devil is either. The scripture says that he masquerades as an angel of light. Listen, the devil is not gonna show up to you in a way that you recognize him. He, the devil is a deceiver, and he's very real. The scripture says that he's like a crouching lion at your door waiting to deceive you, waiting to consume you, waiting to have you. And so I, I wanna just start in this place of, if you are the person that maybe like, you just blame the devil for everything, and like you take no credit, then maybe just stop. You know, 
But if you're also in the place where, you know, you hear preachers like me begin to talk about spiritual warfare or, or the evil one, and you're thinking, like, that's not real. And, you know, hey, the Bible, the Bible clearly describes that we're in a spiritual battle. It is going on right now. And it's not only going on here, but it's going on in the heavenly places. It's going on in the spiritual places. And there is an evil one that is trying to pull his schemes on you to derail you. And the commandment of God is that we would stand firm. That we would withstand the schemes of the devil, the schemes of the principalities and the powers, the schemes of the dark places, and that we would stand firm in the strength of God. And so how do we go about this battle? We put on the armor of God. The armor of God. First, you have to put on the belt of truth. I think that it's important that, they, uh, that this comes first. I don't know if this, you know, he wrote this in any particular order. But I think, when I think of a belt right here in the middle of your body, I think of something that just holds it all together. The belt of truth. Truth is so important. We live in a very relativistic society. That's just people say, whatever you believe, you can believe. And what's true for you is true for you. Know, you and what's true for me is true for me. And that's, just, that's just not true. I mean, like, if I think that is north and you think that is south, the reality is one of us is right and one of us is wrong, right? And here's the thing. We need truth that its source is outside of our own brain. We need a source of truth because without the, without the true source of truth, everything falls apart. So we need this belt of truth around our waist, holding everything together. We need to know what truth is. Truth is found in the word of God. Truth is found in the heart of God. Truth is found in him. It's not whatever we conceive that it is. It's not on our own emotions. You know, you know as well as I do that when we get in emotional situations, we believe all kinds of things based on our own influences. We need to look to something outside of ourselves for truth. So we need to put truth around our waist and let the truth of the word of God lead everything about uh, the armor that we're putting on. The second thing it says is put on the breastplate of righteousness. First of all, I want you to know this, that you are righteous, saint, because you have Jesus living in you. The scripture said that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. Wow. That is so amazing. Jesus, in his eternal beauty, in his perfection, in his perfect righteousness, he traded places with us, and when God sees you, he looks at you through the lens of the cross. He sees you as righteous. You are a saint in his eyes. He sees you with the righteousness of Christ. But just like this book is, has been describing, that when we find ourselves in a position not based on our merit, not based on our works, not based on our righteousness and what we can accomplish, but based on grace, God has put us in a place of righteousness and right standing with him. When we find ourselves in that place, the, the, the natural response is then to walk out the righteousness that he's already given us. We don't walk out righteousness in order to earn that position. We walk it out in response to the position that he, he's already given us. And so the commandment to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This covering that protects your heart is a commandment to walk out the things of God in a way that will protect you and your soul because your heart is precious. 
Your spirit is precious. And if you keep giving yourself over and over and over again to unrighteous things, it's going to corrupt you. It's going to kill you. It's going to steal your heart away. And so recognize that you are in a position of righteousness and then choose to walk in righteousness and put that armor on. Thirdly, it says, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, the greatest pair of Nikes ever. <laughs> just do it. There's just something about the gospel. The gospel. I think I, uh, I read this quote before. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but a writer said, it's an amazing thing for a Christian person to never really feel at home anywhere because our citizenship is in heaven. But to also, especially in the midst of this crazy time that we live in, know that wherever, whatever foreign land your feet fall upon, it is yours. Because the whole world belongs to your king and you're part of his kingdom. There's just something that happens when your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. You know, Mother Teresa went into the most darkest of places with peace in her heart because she was walking in the gospel. Stephen Minor is going to go preach the gospel in South Sudan, and he's not scared. He's not scared of one person. I bet you, you're not scared of anything, are you? You're going to go preach the gospel because the gospel of peace shines brighter than any darkness that you're going to face. When you have the gospel on your side, you can walk wherever you're going to go with peace in your heart, no matter what you're facing. So many of our brothers and sisters have given their life, their very life for the gospel because it was was worth it. In the midst of the, the knife being at their throat, in the midst of them being put on the stake and being burned alive, you know, the old martyrs of, of the days of old, they considered it a privilege to die for their faith. Can you believe that? A privilege. When, when the old martyrs, they would literally be put on a stake and burned alive. When they would do that to them, they would just be singing praises. The records write about them. They'd be singing, thank you, Jesus, for calling me worthy to die for your namesake. There's something about putting on the gospel and walking in his peace. It says, take up the shield of faith in all circumstances, the shield that you can withstand the flaming darts of the enemy. I want to point this, thing, this out about faith. Sometimes I think that we treat faith like it's something that we have to have because we know that faith is the most, you know, kind of important thing. We know by faith we've been saved. We know without faith it's impossible to please God. And so we, we, we strive to have faith. But oftentimes it seems like we're putting our faith in a future outcome of a thing instead of in a person. So I'm believing, I'm believing I'm going to get that job. I'm believing I'm going to get that job. I'm, I'm believing I need this amount of money. I need this, this provision in my life. I'm believing that I'm going to get that, that husband or wife that God promised me all those years ago. I'm believing that I'm going to get this, that, or the other thing. And we, we think about faith in terms of I'm going, to, I'm going to believe and believe and believe that this substance of this thing is going to happen. When really... Faith is faith in the person of Christ, not in whatever it is that he might produce or not produce in your life. Faith is saying, Jesus, I know that you are my shield, and whatever it is that comes my way is going to come through you, and you're going to let the things in that I need, and you're going to keep the things out that I don't need. And when you're praying for the stuff that you want, what you really should be doing is, is praying that you would trust Jesus, that he would provide for you. Our faith is in the person of Jesus. It's eternal faith for salvation. It's also faith 
for things in this life. It's not faith in the substance of things. It's faith in the person of God that he has you, that he is for you, and that he is good. Faith. And put on the helmet of salvation that you would know that you are saved. That you would know that you belong to Christ. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's no single thing on this planet that's more powerful than the word of God. The sword of the spirit. You know, it's been said that the armor of God uh, only has one offensive weapon. I don't know if you noticed that. The sword of the spirit. Everything else is defensive. Everything else is meant to protect you except for the sword of the spirit. I'm gonna get my guys up here to help me out. I'm gonna, I wanna illustrate something because I, I think this is the, I think this is the reality that we find ourselves in. If you guys could just get right here. This is what I wanna, yeah, that's fine right there. This final commandment is a commandment to stand. To stand firm, to stand in victory, to accomplish all that God has called you to accomplish. So let's just, let's just imagine together, if you will, with me, that, that this pulpit represents my place, my personal place of destiny. Let's pretend that this pulpit, that this position represents my place of victory. It represents my place of, of obtaining, receiving, and holding on to my identity and all that God has called me to. This pulpit, this position right here, this represents my place of well done good and faithful servant. And these guys right here, these evil guys right here, they, <laughs> they represent they just, just some random things. They represent some battles that I might face in my life. So let's just say that this is distraction. Let's just say that this is lust. Let's just say that this is fear. Let's just say that this is provision. And let's just say that this is lies. This is the way that I think that we view this battle that we're in. Because, you know, we are in a battle in this life, right? And I think that the way that we picture it, I want you to really truly think about how do you picture your life? How do you picture when somebody says, how's your walk with the Lord? How do you picture that? What is that? What comes to your mind when you think of, am I, am I living, walking, and standing in a place of victory? Am I accomplishing all that God's called me to accomplish? Or am I in this place of defeat? Am I in this place of constantly feeling like, man, I'm trying to get through? And this is the, this is what I feel like a lot of us do is we're like trying to get to our place of destiny and we're trying to get there and all these things are holding us back and we're, we're in this battle and, and we're trying to, we're trying to fight through this battle. We're trying to bust to our place of, of destiny and we're trying to bust to our place of, 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 uh, our identity, we're trying to get, so we got distraction right here, right? And I'm trying to look towards my destiny and he's just distracting me. He's just in my way and I, and I just look at him because he's so pretty or he, you know, <laughs> he says squirrel and I look squirrel and, you know, when it comes to our walk with the Lord, it's like we get distracted by so many things and we can say that that's an attack on us and where we're trying to be with God and, and I'm not over there because I just get so distracted and so distracted and time and time again and I even pray and then I get, I'm thinking about my grocery list while I'm praying and I'm just so distracted 
distracted. And so I finally try and get to this place where I like finally bust past that guy. And then I'm, and then I got my next battle. And for many of us, maybe it's this thing of lust. And it's like, I'm just trying not to look at it, you know, but I'm trying to like get past it. And uh, no, I don't want to look, you know, and we just find ourselves in this place of praying and telling God, we're, we're not going to do that again. And then, and then we run into that wall again and we, we thought we got past it, but then it just keeps holding on to us and, and, and just pulling us back. We thought we got rid of it and we're just battling and we're battling and we're battling and we're trying to get past that thing. And then so many of us face this, this thing called fear. And we're looking at our destiny and we're trying to look beyond fear. We're trying to look through fear, but he's really big and really scary. And so we try and fight it and we try and just... We try and ignore it, and we try and pretend like, you know what, I'm not scared. I'm, you know what, I'm trying to, and then we have just provision, and there's so many things that we just feel like God is not, is God really for me? Is he taking care of me? And so we're battling through this thing of provision, and we're wondering, are we really ever going to make it? Are we really ever going to stand in the place of victory? And it just seems like this lacking has this overwhelming grip on us, and so we're just trying to break free. And then we have lies coming at us, and they just speak things at us. Smart enough. You're not good enough. No. You're not a good pastor. You're a horrible husband. You can't play basketball. Okay, I know you're a liar. I know you're a liar. I know you're a liar now. Right? <laughs> Stay right there. <laughs> and so even though, even though we've stepped into this place of position with Christ, relationship with Christ, we have obtained salvation the way that we view this battle that God promised would come our way is like this. That like the end goal, if God were really to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, it means that we have to battle through all of these things in order to get to this position of authority, this position of identity, this position of God being pleased with us. And if you throw me the sword of the spirit real quick, yeah. sword of the spirit. <laughs> Zach goes, what's that dinky little sword, dude? And I was like, yeah, that's right. You think it's dinky? It's the sword of the spirit, dude. People think the word of God isn't powerful, but it is. Oh. No, they're going to look at it. They're going to look at the word like this. Oh, that's a dinky little kid toy. Why don't you fight? Oh, yeah, I'm fighting all right. I'm fighting all right. Because the only offensive tool in the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so I want to show you is that your battle, our battle, is not to get from there to here. It's that you're already here. You are already here. Ephesians 1 and 2 says you're already in a place of victory. You're already sitting with Christ. You already have a heavenly inheritance. It's already been done in the heavenly places. You're already standing right where God has you. And anything that comes against you is going to be coming to try and put you off of the place that you stand. And the commandment of God is that you would stand firm and that you would slay everything that comes at you with the word of God. You're a liar. I, you know what? God has not given me the spirit of fear, but a spirit of sound 
own mind and the word of God inside of me. Get down, fear. Anything that comes at me does not have its grip against me because I'm going to stand firm right where God has me with the word of God in my hand. This is why we need to know the, we need to know the word. We need to know the word. The commandment is to stand your ground, not to get somewhere, not to, not to fight your way to some destination. You are already where you need to be. Stuff is going to come your way. Stand your ground with the word of God. You guys can go. Put your hands together for them. Hey, hey, I was talking with J.O. about this because, and he's going to preach a, probably a quite different and amazing message tomorrow if you want to come back. He was saying, you know, we were working this through together and he was saying, Craig, I feel like I do fight in many ways and I battle and I, and I go for stuff. And, and we were sort of together wrestling through this concept of, well, are we, are we standing already with everything that God has for us or is there something to going and obtaining? And, and this is what we, the conclusion that we came to. Think about it like this. Even this building, even for us to, as a church, obtain this building, there had to be a fight in us. There had to be a, a go, right? There had to be a, a go and obtain, a go and take by faith. But I was thinking about the, the promised land and the people of God. And, and my thought was this. You know what? When God called them to go into a land that they didn't have, which would be a picture of the first thing, you know, busting through all the, all the ites of the Old Testament, you know, getting through the Amorites and the ites and the ites and the ites and getting to the promised land, it would almost lead you to believe that there is a, a fight to a destination. But it's just not true. Because what we remembered was this. God said, I've already given you the land. It's already yours. Just go and take it. It wasn't a fight that needed to happen for them to obtain something based on their ability to fight. It was the land is already yours. The position is already yours. I'm just asking you to go in and take it. And they didn't believe for 40 years and they wandered around. Until finally they, cho they chose to choose faith, to obey his promise and to walk in and take it. I want to close with this thought. Um, just, just truth be told, um, transparently, going into a message like this, I even theologically was struggling in many ways because, you know, even as a pastor, I don't, I don't really fully understand spiritual warfare and all those things. It's, it's very mysterious. I think that we should strive to understand the word of God and the reality that we're in because we are in a battle. And so I don't exactly know, you know, all of the ways that maybe the evil one could or might attack you. But what I do know is this, that the word devil means deceiver. And I was thinking about my own life and I couldn't help but think that a big part of the attack from the evil one would be the, the final battle that I faced right there, which would be the lies, deception. I mean, isn't it true that you stand your ground. You're in this place of identity with Christ. And the war that's going on is a war that's trying to get you to disbelieve the truth of God and to believe the lies of the evil one. That even from the beginning, his tactic was deception with Adam and Eve in the garden. His means of, war of warfare was deception. 
If only he could get them to disbelieve and distrust God, that it would take them out of a position of right relationship with God and into a position of brokenness. And then I think whether it's fear or lust or, you know, money issues or relational issues or whatever it is in your life, that the number one strategy is going to be to try and convince you that you either aren't in a position of righteousness already or you don't deserve it. Or that you need to work in order to get there because, believe me, if the devil can't make you hate God, he's going to try and make you religious. We have to know the word of God. His written word and the word that he delivers through his spirit. Because the word of God is the offensive weapon through which to fight the attacks of the evil one, which be the lies of deception. The commandment is to stand. I just want to close with this thought. Here last month we celebrated uh, the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. Some of you know what that is. Some of you don't, but... um, Long story short, a brother of ours saw some issues that were going on in the church, and Martin Luther nailed the, five, uh, the 95 theses to the, the wall of the church, and he said, these things are all, these things are going on that aren't right. It's not based on the word of God. It's not based on the truth of God. And after four years of them putting uh, him on trial, he finds himself finally, I think it was May 1521, standing in the midst of a crowd of everybody condemning him and everybody saying, recant and take back what you said, take back what you said. And the story goes that he says, unless you can show me from the word of God that what I'm saying is wrong, here I stand. Here I stand. And I just want to ask you in closing, what do you stand for? What do you stand for? You have, if you know Jesus, the same spirit living in you that raised Jesus from the dead. You have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You have been blessed in the heavenly places with all things. This is, this is Bible right here. This is the word of God. Let the word of God just come over you. You have already been lavished with the love of God. You have been predestined to be with him in relationship. You have been predestined to walk in the likeness of Christ. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead and seated next to God at his right hand in the heavenly places, the word says, so have you been raised from the dead. Even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God raised you from the dead and he seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. And you have been called as God's workmanship to walk out all the things that he has created in advance that you should walk in. And he's called you to stand firm in the victory that he's already accomplished for you. If I could say it like this, we fight from victory, not for victory. We fight out of victory, not in order to gain victory. You already have victory. You already have the greatest 
source of power living inside of you and the greatest weapon of warfare accessible to you, the spirit of God in you and the word of God available for you. And the last verse that we read says this, in all times, pray in the Holy Spirit. So I actually think there's two offensive weapons in this scripture. One's the word of God and one's prayer in the spirit. Will you stand to your feet with me? What I'd like to do as Seth begins to sing is, I just want to invite you to start doing that. That you would either start just maybe reciting the word over your life, or that you would just start praying. Just right where you're at, if you just start praying, you just start seeking him. Come on, to put on the armor of God is to put on these things, and to fight with the word of God, and to pray in the spirit in all occasions.